As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Bruce Kasman, Chief Economist and Head of Global Economic Research at J.P. Morgan, joins us now for more. Bruce, let's talk about this. The Fed decision today, with expectations high, we get some kind of guidance about maybe a March rate cut. At the same time on Friday, we're looking for payrolls growth still close to 200K. How do you reconcile those two things, Bruce? Well, I think what the Fed's going to do today is open a door, but basically tell us it hasn't decided when it's going to walk through it. And I think there's a story here about inflation coming down that's encouraging them. But there's also a story about the economy looking pretty strong here, which is raising questions about how restrictive actually the five and a half percent policy stance is. They're going to grapple with that, I think, for a while. Uh, I think the data is going to tell the tale. Uh, we've got as noted, two, two CPI reports before the March meeting. We got two payroll reports. We're looking for a strong payroll report on Friday. I think most likely the strength of growth uh, and I think some firming in, in goods price inflation we're expecting is going to slow the Fed down and, and have them wait in March. Bruce, we've got plenty of questions around the table about the labour market, so let's talk about it a little bit more. You're looking for north of 200k, I think, on Friday. The median estimate in our survey at the moment is 185. Unemployment's below 4%. I think you've raised the right question. What evidence is there that we ask, quote, sufficiently restrictive, given what we're seeing in the labour market? Well, I think it's, it's an interesting question. I think they will use that language in the statement today, sufficiently restrictive. Many FOMC members have been basically emphasizing that policy is at a restrictive stance and should start to come down. But the economy did very well at the end of last year. It's carrying continued strength into the start of the year. I think the labor market is showing some re reduction in churning, some reduction in labor demand. But there is demand starting to pick up in some sectors of the economy. And I think job growth is going to stay strong here. I think the unemployment rate is going to stay uh, below 4%. So I think they got a tough balancing act here. How they talk to us about that balancing act between inflation progress, strength of growth, and importantly, how they interpret financial conditions becomes really the, uh, the color we're going to get today in terms of thinking about where they stand. I find this labor market incredibly confusing right now, and I'd love your help to try to understand it because you see it as stronger uh, than the average person on Wall Street. We've heard about those slew of layoffs, UPS, PayPal, Google, Amazon, City, Macy's. You can go on and on. Yesterday, we got the JOLTS data, the job openings data, and when you look beneath the hood, you can see the level of quits, people actually quitting, fell to the lowest, the rate, going back to 2020. At what point are we seeing real-time weakening that just isn't making its way into the overall headline data? So I think we have to distinguish between a normalization and weakening. And remember, the labor market was unusual over 2021 through early 2023 as we were really normalizing back after a COVID shock that was quite profound. Uh, so what I think we're seeing now is pace of job growth slow. I think we're seeing less people leave jobs. I think we're seeing wage inflation come off of very high levels. 
But I think we're also seeing in the high frequency data a sense that things are starting to stabilize and stabilize at a reasonably strong pace, consistent with the fact that the unemployment rate's below 4%, consistent with the fact that the economy's growing at a 3% pace here. So I think we have to be a little careful not to get carried away by momentum that's reflecting the normalization after outsized strength in the labor market over the last two years. How do we know that we've really killed the potential for a wage price spiral if we do see this ongoing strength underpinning, yes, albeit some kind of uh, peripheral layoffs, but otherwise, as you say, a very strong labor market? I, I think the term wage price spiral is too extreme in terms of what the debate is right now. I think we've seen that the shocks that pushed wage inflation up, that pushed inflation up, many of them have gone from the scene and we're not sitting with a threat that inflation is going to be four or five percent. I think we're debating within a range of is inflation settling back towards the Fed's targeted two or are we getting stuck somewhere around three? And there's a story there which we're seeing with wage inflation, which looks like it's still running above 4%. And you're asking, well, how well is productivity doing? How much pricing power do companies have? Whether the big drops in goods pricing we've seen in the last few months is a bit of a temporary phenomenon. And how much further progress are we going to see on shelter costs, service price inflation? And these are all questions which we haven't answered yet. But we're debating with the, the point about is inflation coming all the way back to the low twos, or is it getting stuck somewhere around three? And neither of those is a wage price spiral. That's not really the, the dynamic of this economy right now. Uh, but 3% inflation is too high for the Fed, and we'll certainly slow them down if not stop them, if that's what the data starts to show. Bruce, I just wonder how relevant the Federal Reserve actually is to this conversation. <laughs> We've talked about them so much over the last two years. It's interesting, isn't it? Just how rate-sensitive is this economy? If higher rates didn't slow it down, will lower rates speed it up? Bruce, I don't know the answer to that. How relevant is the Fed? I think that's a really important question. And I would just say two things here. First of all, I think last year we had a very significant drag coming from higher interest rates on housing, other durable spending. Uh, monetary policy did do damage, but it was offset by fiscal stimulus. It was offset by sharp falls in energy prices, uh, and it was offset by still benefits of COVID normalization. I think now we're in a really interesting position because monetary conditions are still tight. Borrowing rates are still high. Bank lending standards have tightened, but financial conditions have eased a lot. And that juxtaposition of tight monetary conditions and easing financial conditions is really unprecedented and how it plays out in economic performance is uncertain. So I think in that regard, your question is really spot on. This is a really tough, tough economy to get your hands around in terms of what the Fed's transmission is doing as we look to 2024. I'm so pleased you brought that up because I'd introduce another dynamic as well. This conversation today about higher real interest rates, the Fed's sort of allowing passive tightening as inflation comes down and keeps nominal rates steady. Bruce, is that offset by better real incomes in America? Well, first of all, I think it's wrong to say that there's a mechanical link between inflation and real interest rates. That depends on how people think about the forward path of inflation. It depends on how interest rate markets, as we discussed a minute ago, are feeding through the financial conditions. But I do think the point you're making is an important one. The rise, the fall in inflation is a reduction of a set of supply shocks that hit us. As that's happening, that's a boost to um, household purchasing power, and we can see the consumer respond to that. The good news is that income is also being generated by the, uh, the corporate sector right now. It's not a move away from uh, corporate profits as we're generating strong demand overall. And as we're generating what has been pretty good productivity uh, outcomes, we're looking for a 3% quarterly gain in the fourth quarter productivity print tomorrow, which would be pretty impressive.
Just quickly, Bruce, to wrap this up, economics tries to be agnostic when it comes to politics, and it tries to look <laughs> at these very uh, specific uh, issues and, and calibrations of inflation and labor markets, but it's hard to avoid the politics this year. A lot of people saying the Fed is going to try to get an earlier start to avoid uh, cutting rates more aggressively right into the election. We're also, though, hearing from Congress members, Sherrod Brown, the latest, in the Senate saying, I urge the Federal Reserve to cut rates how difficult does that make the situation for the Fed? How does that factor into your considerations? So I think we should not consider the Fed as having an explicit political lens in terms of their policy setting. But the Fed is, a, is operating in a political environment. And I think there is a sensitivity there that if the Fed was slow in, in, in lowering rates and the economy did falter uh, as we moved into the election um, campaign season, that they'd be politically vulnerable. So I do think there's a bit of a bias here that if they think they're going to ease, that they probably started a little earlier. Uh, that does weigh on our thinking. It hasn't pushed us to think they'll go all the way in March, but I, I do think that's a consideration we should have in our minds. Hey, Bruce, it's great to catch up to get your thoughts. Bruce Kassman there of J.P. Morgan. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.